We're talking about raise the praise all through this summer. How many of you have written something on the banners out in the, in the foyer? How many of you have? Okay, people all over have written something on the banners. There's 10 years since Hurricane Katrina. The way we are celebrating the 10 years is we have 10 banners on which to write our praises year by year. We had a couple of journalists that came to the church this week. They were so impressed. They took pictures of the banners and all that, and they believe that's a great way to uh, commemorate this date on which Hurricane Katrina devastated our city and our region. So, before you leave today, I want you to make a note of it. You might have to write it on the back of your hand or put it on your phone or something. Uh, I'm going to write some praises on the banners. We're not quite through raising the praises, so add your praises to the banners before you leave today. We are in Luke chapter 17 as we look at a story that only the gospel writer Luke records concerning Jesus and those he healed. And I want you to turn to Luke 17, if you will. Luke is always concerned about the poor, those who are outcasts, those who are the disadvantaged in society, and he records a number of stories about Jesus, of course. If you recorded all the stories, as John the Evangelist said, it would fill all the books. So they had to select things, and Luke is prompted to select things about the outcast. And that's what we have here in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And I'm going to read that for you, okay? Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is traveling the perimeter between Galilee and Samaria. He's going a customary route, I suppose, a little bit circuitous around Samaria. He'll end up in Jericho very soon where blind Bartimaeus will cry out to him like these lepers did. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That happens in Jericho. Zacchaeus will be in the tree in, in Jericho. And then he will head on to Jerusalem. It is not a journey that his best friends wanted him to take. They insisted he not do it. But Luke records that he set his face to go to Jerusalem because he knew that that was the Father's will. And so he did it. And along the way, he comes to this unnamed village. Luke doesn't give us the name. I've thought about that because I know the village had a name. And it's a village where Jesus did a very significant miracle. Not often does Jesus heal ten people at once. I don't know that I can think of one. I know he did individual healings. 
But this is a group that he healed. And all at once, all of them are healed. But we do not know the village name. I got to thinking about that. Maybe it's because a village with needy people, with folks who need, need cleansed and help, that is every village. Every village in Samaria, every village in Galilee, every village in the time of Jesus and in our time too. So perhaps this village can just stand in for all the villages where we live. From Algiers to Laplace to Mandeville to Slidell to Belle Chase, maybe even say Lakeview. So it's okay. Just think about it as the place where you live. Maybe Lakeview, maybe where our church is and as he enters this village now not while he is in it but as he enters it he has a greeting committee there are 10 men with leprosy who greet him they stand back from the road because they cannot have interaction with people going up and down the road so they stand back from the road and they cry out Jesus master have mercy on us this is how he enters the village with this kind of greeting committee everywhere Jesus goes the needy are about him I'm sure he must have felt at times that they are everywhere even when he tried to get away they would follow him sometimes I picture Jesus dusty and dirty and tired in the middle of a great crowd screaming at him help my son help my daughter help my friend attend to our need and all the folks are pressing him all around to have their healing and have their need met and Jesus is tired and he's in the middle of that group and anytime that you are overwhelmed by need when you look at the world and you think there's so much need what can one person do think about Jesus who lived his life this way with so much need all around him with so much to do and yes he healed many but even in the world of his day, all around in all the countries and all the places, it was only a drop in the bucket to all the folks who were sick and all the folks who were in need, just like it is today. And yet Jesus never gave up. And when they said, Master, have pity on us, he turned to them because he had pity on them. I wonder if anybody wouldn't have had pity on them. Leprosy is a terrible disease. It eats away at the extremities of your body. And Dr. Hannah Pounds told me this morning that people who have leprosy don't even know that the disease is eating away because they don't feel the pain. Unlike my granddaughter, Eden, who feels the pain of her toe, she's about to lose her big toe nail because she kicked a soccer ball and it ached all night. And so we've been dealing with the injury to one of these digits. And for a leper, all the digits... The fingers and the toes are at risk, as well as the ears and the nose. So it would not be uncommon for a leopard to be disfigured and almost painful to look at. And anybody would look at them and have pity on them and think, oh my, that is terrible. They're dying. Their bodies are dying. And Jesus speaks a word to them, go show yourselves to the priests. This is a hopeful word. This is the process in the Old Covenant. This is the law by which they must 
uh, follow in the re-entry to society. If they are healed, if their skin clears up, then they go to the priest and the priest examines them and he gives them permission to re-enter their old life. So when Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest, there must have been a springing of hope in each of the ten as they turned around and headed toward the priest. And sure enough, while they are going, they are all healed. Every one of them cleansed of their leprosy, all ten of them. Ten is the number of completion. When Rebecca and Rachel and Joshua were born, I counted their toes and their fingers. I don't know if you do that with your newborns. But we do. I mean, I did. To see if they had ten toes and ten fingers. Because it's the number of completion. I wonder if perhaps these ten lepers are not the complete number. Standing in for all of us, they too are unnamed just like the village. And I wondered about their names. We don't even know the name of the one who returned to give God praise and fell at the feet of Jesus. They all remain unnamed. So we called the village Lakeview and maybe we should give names to the ten lepers. If if the village stands in for any village with needy people, then these ten stand in for people that have needs. Like These are the most common names in 2014 given to girls and boys in our country. I don't know if you knew that, but Amelia, Oliver, Olivia, Jack, Emily, Harry, Ava, Charlie, Ella, Jacob. Some of them have a Hebrew background in their names. Some of them are Germanic. Some of them are English. Others come from the Latin uh, languages. And these are the 10 popular names. Maybe they could stand in for these lepers in need. I really think Luke is recording this so that we will think about the place we live in and all the needs that are there and then the people that we live around and all the needs that they have. And so we have 10 lepers standing by the side of the road as Jesus enters this village and they are crying out for help. When Jesus asks his first question, he says it like this, were not all ten cleansed? All ten. It's the complete healing of the group that cried for mercy. Were not all ten cleansed? And the answer to that is, yes, they were all cleansed. It's a little curious, isn't it, that they aren't giving thanks? Thanksgiving is prompted from our hearts. It's a common human experience to give thanks. I know of folks who say that atheists sometimes lament the fact they don't have anybody to say thank you to. Did you ever hear that? An atheist who said, you know, some days you just want to say thank you. Graham, my two-year-old grandson, was in my arms and I was back in the backyard. And he was listening intently to the song of a bird. And the bird kept singing and singing. One of you who understands why birds sing and sing, you need to come and tell me afterward, okay? I'm interested in why birds sing. What is this bird singing for? He sings, he sings, he sings. And Graham is delighted and so am I. But what prompts him to sing? I finally have to conclude that God made birds to sing. And just like rivers run to the sea, birds lift up their song. 
and through all the generations of human beings. And in our world today, something like 97% of the people worship someone, something. Why? Somebody said we are universally religious in this respect. We want to give thanks for the blessings we receive. It is the creative love of God that surrounds us every day and our hearts are prompted with a beautiful sunset like Mary Beth and Tim posted on Facebook last night. And it was a beautiful sunset. We're prompted with that to say thank you. It is in us to do so. All ten were cleansed. Now we might say the nine did not come back because they're headed to show themselves to the priest. And I understand that to be true, that they are. But Jesus has the expectation that they will return. See, all ten are cleansed and 90% do not double back. Jesus is the one who asked, where are the other nine? Where are they? They should have been prompted to give thanks. They should have been prompted to give praise. God gives his cleansing. He gives his miracle. We are surrounded by these blessings. It doesn't even matter whether we are good or bad people. The sun comes up in the morning. We enjoy the sunshine. We go to the beach. We breathe the fresh air. We see the beautiful sunset. It doesn't matter how we've acted. The sun shines and the rain falls, Jesus said, on the just and on the unjust. And whether we've been good or bad, we see the beautiful things that happen around us and we are prompted to give thanks. And Jesus expects it to happen. And now these 90, 90% are not returning to give God praise. It's really a curiosity. Wonder what happened to them. I thought about them as they went on their way. Maybe they were very focused. They are kind of driven people. Maybe some of them are just very focused. He told us to go to the priest. He told us to go to the priest. That's what we're doing. And they head right out there, following his instructions, going even though maybe they felt prompted to go and give thanks. They just headed right to the priest. Because they have that kind of focus. Maybe some of them began to have their minds full with all the things they had to do. So many things to do now that they are healed. They've got to go back to their family after they go to the priest. They're going to return to their jobs. They're going to get back into their community. And there are so many things that need done. And maybe that's what's on their mind. They're just very busy. And they become thoughtless. And with all these things rattling around inside their brain, they just don't turn around and go back to give thanks. Maybe some of them are feeling, well, I was on my way to getting healed anyway. You know, I thought that was clearing up. And so they head back now and, oh yeah, yeah that was going to happen. And so they're not really too prompted by gratitude to Jesus because they figured it was going to happen anyway. And maybe there were some that thought, you know, I never should have had leprosy in the first place. I don't know what God was thinking. I've been a good person. I've kept all the rules. I've done the right thing. Now I come down with leprosy. That was never right from the beginning. 
So now I finally got healed. It's the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to get to the priest and get back with my life. That could be going on in them. There are those who believe that they deserve all the divine benefits that come their way. That they are healthy and not plagued by sickness because they have been good people and they have made good choices and they have had a good lifestyle and that is why they are healthy and not plagued with sickness. And when sickness comes upon them, they think to themselves, this can't be right. This can't be right. I've done everything like I was supposed to do and now I'm sick? No way. There may have been a leper in the group who thought that way. And the actual truth of the matter is, sometimes we feel like God is indebted to us. And the blessings that we receive, we take for granted because we really do believe that we deserve them. They're ours because we are good moral people. And we receive these blessings as payment for the good things we've done, the good lifestyle, the good choices that we've made. And so we're not particularly grateful for the blessings that come our way. We're getting paid. I mean, that's what we earn. When we do what's right, we're supposed to get this. And there's a sense of entitlement we have, a moral entitlement, that the blessings should come our way because of how good we've been. And this is called self-righteousness. I'm in a right position because I've done it myself. I'm not really indebted to the grace of God. I don't really have to say thank you. These are blessings I've earned. So I don't really live in gratitude. I'm not really saying thank you, God, when the sun comes up, because it's supposed to come up for me. And when I stay healthy, I'm thinking that's a consequence my good choices and my good life and I'm not saying that good choices don't have good results what I'm saying is that whether you make good choices or not you can get leprosy and that you shouldn't assume that the blind guy is blind because he sinned or maybe his parents sinned and that's why he's born blind you remember the trap the disciples fell into when they saw the blind man we do the same thing so often, so frequently. We see somebody who is sick and they have leprosy and we wonder what they did wrong. That such affliction should come upon them. And we're thinking, we don't have it because we did right. We've done right. And so gratitude is not the response of our heart to the blessings of life. 90% of those who are cleansed did not double back to say thank you. The truth is, they are the poorer. God doesn't owe them a healing, a cleansing, nor does he owe you. God is not indebted to you. Prior to this experience with the lepers, Jesus has this teaching where he says, a servant works hard all day. He comes home exhausted. And the master does not get up and fix him dinner. The master is seated at his table. 
and the tired servant who's worked all day, he comes in and he puts the master's meal before him. And when the master has eaten, then the servant eats. And when the servant sits down exhausted at night, he should not expect a thank you. Instead, he should say, I am a servant to my master. I have worked all day long and I've only done my duty. God is not indebted to us. They said, Master, have pity on us. The servant, when he works hard all day, just says, I've only done my duty. Only what is expected of me. There's some kind of inversion here. The notion that God is indebted to us and therefore we deserve the blessings. Rather than we are indebted to God and therefore I must bless him. This one returns to give God thanks. One, Jesus says, only one returns to give God. There are 10% who have a heart of gratitude and praise like they should, even in the midst of their cleansing. You look at that and you think about it, wow. And Luke records that the one who returned was a Samaritan. Not one of the people of the covenant. Not a Jew like the other nine children of Abraham. Worshipping at the temple in Jerusalem. Getting it right. Heir to the covenants of Israel. No, the fellow who returns is a Samaritan. A fellow who is outside of the covenant of promise. He comes back to give God praise. And I suppose that Luke is preparing by telling this account, like he does, and he's the only evangelist to do so, perhaps he is preparing the Jewish church, which will start out all Jewish, for the Samaritans who are going to thunder into the church in just a few days. Maybe he is preparing the Jewish church for the entry of you and me into the covenant with God. You may think that you're naturally a Christian, that you're somebody who just ought to be a Christian, but you, my friend, are a Gentile. You are akin to this Samaritan who is outside the covenant of the promise. One of the greatest, startling, most amazing surprises of the early church is that Samaritans and Gentiles are also going to be saved through the blood of Jesus. It was an amazing thing to them. God was preparing them for the coming back of this Samaritan. No, we are not naturally inclined to the grace of God. We came from outside of the covenants of promise. And Jesus made a way for us. And we have all noticed how sometimes you start taking the gospel, the good news, and the blessings of life for granted when you live with them all your life. Sometimes it takes a stranger, a foreigner, a Samaritan who may be standing by the side of the road thinking, well, here comes this Jewish prophet. I know he's going to probably heal these other nine companions of mine, but he'll probably leave me out because I'm a Samaritan. I wonder if I'll ever get healed being a Samaritan by Jesus who is a Jew. Maybe it is the most surprising thing to him in all the world that he was healed along with those nine Jews. 
and came thundering back to Jesus and threw himself at Jesus' feet and with a loud voice gave praise to God because he, a Samaritan, was also a recipient of the grace of God and the gift of life. It was amazing to him. Sometimes we see that in our churches. We who all our years have been part of the family of faith and the, and the covenant community. And someone comes in from the outside and they're so passionate in their praise. They sing louder than anybody and they praise God more passionately and more openly than we. And we wonder, wow, that person must be new to the community. They must have come from the outside, you know. We who have been here all this time, we just keep on going with life. Ten percent give the praise to God that he deserves. This Samaritan returns and his praise and thanksgiving shame us all. We who have so much. I'm going to ask Allison Barnhill to come here for a minute. I want her to tell you a story that she told us on Friday. A few of you have heard it. She and Brett are our missionaries in Lesotho. 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 Mm -hmm. Tell us about this fellow you ran into. So when Brett and I started our work in Lesotho about six months ago, um, we started our first orphan care center there with 15 children. And it was our opening day, and I had a list of all the children who were supposed to be arriving. And as the children walked in, I'd check them off the list and say, okay, this is Palesa, she's 12, and all this stuff. And we were all there, and all the kids had their little party hats on, and we're having a great time. And I said, well, there's a boy who's not here. Did, did anybody tell Intene to come? And all the kids looked really funny, and they said, well, we didn't know how to tell him. I was like, well, you just say, come to the church, you know. And they said, well, no, he can't hear, and he doesn't speak. And so we couldn't figure out how to tell him when to come to the church. And so we decided to go look for this boy the next day, and I, we asked some of the ladies, how do we find this boy? And they said that ever since he was a baby, um, he wasn't able to hear or speak, and he was abandoned by his family, and he just lives as a shepherd alone in the mountains. And they said, so if you just go up in the mountain, you might find him. And I'm like, that's a little vague. Like, could you give me, um, like, a, could you drop a pin or something? Like, where can we find this kid? And they said, no, just start walking up that mountain and asking people, and maybe you'll find him, maybe you won't. They said, sometimes he'll disappear for days. He'll go off by himself. Um, he doesn't have any friends. And they said, you know, good luck. And so the next day we went out and we just prayed that we'd be able to find this boy. And we got to his village and we met the family that he's a shepherd for. And they said, actually, he just came down from the mountain. He's right over there. And so they brought him over to us. And I started trying to make up sign language, I guess, to show him, like, come to the church, you know, and we want to be your friend. And it was just not working. And um, one of the missionary's daughters with, was with me, and she knows sign language. 
And she said, Allison, can I just try, while we're here, can I try to teach him a word? And I said, you know, sure, nothing else is working, you know. So she picked a little flower from the ground, and she held it up, and she did this. And he was just looking at us like, this is the craziest thing ever, you know. And so then she picked up another flower, and she did it again, and she started pointing to all the flowers and making the sign for flower. And all of a sudden, this huge smile came over his face and he starts jumping up and down and he grabbed a flower and goes like this and she said yes like that's a flower and he he can't hear himself laughing but he has the greatest laugh he just starts laughing uncontrollably and so grace I mean I'm crying and the missionary's daughter we're all so excited and so she starts teaching him how to say house and all these different things, and this is, yeah, that's his awesome smile. <laughs> that was the day he was learning colors, which he didn't like to learn colors, but usually he really enjoys the teaching, and, um, you know, we told all the kids at the care center that this boy is going to be coming, and he's a little bit different than all of you, but he's part of your family, and so we expect you to love him and help him and take care of him, and you would think Antene is a superstar. Like when he comes into the care center, all the kids say, Antene is going to sit with me today. And the other one will say, no, no, he's sitting with me today. And we have these little debates, you know, when it's time to wash hands, they'll take him and put him in front of, line, in front of the line. And he's truly a part of their family. And it's just been amazing from that first day when we met him until now to watch the increasing joy in his life. And I remember one of the teachers saying, when he, when he first arrived, she said, Allison, I don't know if he can learn. I don't, I don't know how we could possibly teach him. We don't, we don't know how to teach him. And um, we just told them, you know, everybody can learn, everybody. And right before we left, like a couple days before we left, he wrote his name, which was a huge deal. When he first came to us, he couldn't hold a pencil. I mean, we handed him a crayon and he well, he tried to eat it. But he, you know, he's never been to school in his life. He's never had a friend. And now he has a family and a church community and all these 14 brothers and sisters who love him and ladies who care about him. And he teaches us so much every day about just resilience and joy in the face of, um, you know, circumstances that we would see as unfair. But he seems... Like, he feels like the luckiest, happiest kid around. So that's Antene's story. That's a great story. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. <laughs> Could it be that the great shepherd who taught us that you leave the 99 in the fold and go get the one that's lost prepared the heart of this young woman who grew up in our church and sent her to Lesotho to look for that little boy in Tenny. God loves in Tenny as much as he loves you. In Tenny is deserving of all the blessings that you enjoy in your life. He is as deserving as you are of the sun that comes up in the morning and the rain that falls and refreshes the earth and the next meal that you will have. 
And next time you complain about your lot in life and you think to yourself, what am I grateful for? What blessings have come my way? I want you to think about the little boy that cannot hear and cannot speak and lived in the mountains for years until God sent Allison and Brett to find him. God's been good to you. Don't you dare be part of the ungrateful majority, the 90% who living in luxury refuse to give him praise. Instead, you acknowledge every day the great healing he brought you, which is the final gift of faith. Those nine lepers that did not come back to give God thanks, they didn't get the healing that that Samaritan got. Jesus commended his healing because every miracle that Jesus performed was an effort to tell the world who he was. All of them were signs that pointed to his true person and work and identity. And the one who really gets all of it not just the physical healing, but the healing that lasts forever is the one who recognized Jesus as worthy of worship and cast himself at his feet. Let's bow together. God, break us loose from the entitlement mentality that expects all these blessings and takes them for granted. Break us loose from the self-righteousness that feels we have earned all the blessings of life and foregoes the grace of God. Lord, teach us that we are among the lepers, unclean, unfit for your presence, and only Jesus in his mercy and pity can clean us up and make us new and make us fit for heaven. Lord, show us our true condition and show us your true glory so that we might know really who we are, who you are, and what it means to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray.